PJ Tucker, right? Of course they did. Well, are you familiar? Like PJ Tucker has been one of the most efficient role men in the NBA this year. And I watched the Heat Wizards game like two nights ago. Um, and they ran it to him on the on the low block. He was posting up and he was getting uh nice little baby hooks, man. And, and he looked like an offensive weapon. Is, is PJ Tucker back? Back? back back like he never was let me just have a quick look here i know his yeah, efficiency can... numbers are absurd he's at 46.7 percent and he's at 65 percent on two pointers i mean he's yeah. only taking five attempts a game and you basically like if you take that few shots you have to be efficient to have any value oh my god i didn't realize his offensive rating was 131 um let's see what his offensive box it's He's about double the scoring average from last year. Yeah, I'll say this. I mean, he is turning the ball over way too much for his usage rate. Um, Yeah. But, you know, whatever. Let's go take a look at his corner three percentage to really see what he's going, what's going on here. He's taking 86.7% of his three-pointers from the corner. And he's hitting 46.2% of them. You know... Look, like this is the this is the reason why I thought they overpaid for him is that like PJ Tucker is currently valuable to this team, but you see this shooting efficiency, like forty six percent on three pointers, and he's but he's only taken from the corners, and then like converting an insane number of his shot uh, his two point attempts, you know, he's not going to keep hitting sixty three percent of his shots from three to ten feet. He's not going to keep hitting two thirds of his shots from mid range, right? So the two point it's basically he needs to be at like this level of efficiency to be a productive offensive player. And it's been a great first 17 games. I thought it was a bad signing. And I still think it's a bad signing because regardless of what he does this season, there's still another season on that deal. Um, so I, I agree. So yeah, it's worked out great thus far. And I think what he's shown early on is that it's not going to be a catastrophe, which is, which is what you want when you give a guy that deal at that age is that it won't look like it's going to be a catastrophe. But, like, once again, like, he's got to sh- – he basically needs to be at this crazy level of efficiency to be a useful player. And there's a real chance that, like, he goes through a cold spell and suddenly he's out of the rotation because he kind of has to be a 45% three-point shooter to make this profile of a player work. I'm going to note that his defensive box plus minus is also the highest it's been since 2016-17 when he was on the Toronto Raptors. Like, I, I just thought this was funny and, and worth bringing up because, honestly, I, I was watching that game and he, he must have hit, like, three little baby hooks on the low block and I was like, who the fuck is this I'm watching? Because I, I, I watched this man play for the Houston Rockets maybe 100 times, you know? Never saw, never saw a crafty low block scorer. And I just thought that it, it's funny because we agreed that this was a, a bad signing, bad value. Uh, so far, he's reinvented himself. And since he's one of my favorite players of all time, I, I have to acknowledge that. No, know? I'm glad. I'm glad. I like it. Um, I like that he's doing well. I think the reality is that, look, like his box plus minus is 1.4. His defensive box plus minus is 1.2. That's probably a product of his teammates and the lineups he gets to play in. Because, like, you know – if you get to play with Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, and Bam Adebayo, you know, like, that helps. That makes your defense look better because it just, you know, defense is definitely 
something where having good teammates really can make you look better just based upon your assignments and just everything. You know, his his offensive box plus minus is 0.2, right? <laughs> so like even with this, like in, that's what I'm saying about like the efficiency. It's like his efficiency with this low of a usage needs to be so crazy good like it has been for him to be a positive offensive contributor. So it's like, you know, if he dips below 40% from three point range and like is only around 50% from the, from two on two pointers, which would still be like pretty good for PJ Tucker at this stage. Right. I think we both agree. He's not a positive offensive contributor. And so that's the only concern, but I think he's been great. The first 17 games, I had no idea he'd been this good and I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. Let's uh, let's hear your, your next pull up. All right. This is a big one. The Chicago Bulls. Can they surpass the Bucks, Heat, or Nets? And not this is not like in terms of like regular season wins, losses. I think they can, obviously. But like, can they pass one of those three teams, perhaps all three teams, as like a contender for the NBA championship? Sorry, the Bucks and who else? The Bucks, the Heat, or the Nets. So, like, there's the top three teams in the Eastern Conference, and I think the Bulls are clearly solidifying themselves as that fourth best team. I know the Wizards have been great, but, like, I really think the Wizards probably look like the fifth or sixth best team. But the Bulls, to me, look like they're clearly the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference, which is better than I expected. But can they surpass one of the Bucks, Heat, or Nets? in terms of like how we view a contender, will they end up with a better record than one of those teams? I wouldn't be surprised, but like, will they actually be a better team that we believe in more? Yeah. Uh, I'll answer before you give me your thoughts. If, if the question is simply, can they surpass one of those teams? I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to surprise myself by saying the one that they could surpass is the Nets. Frankly, if Kyrie Irving doesn't get back, this Nets team doesn't have nearly the juice that people expected. It's really a completely different team. James Harden still looks like he's a half step behind, man. His numbers have been better. He's undeniably like a top 10 or 15 player in this league. But like, I don't think this is not a team that's, that's currently out there running two MVP candidates, man. It's, it, it's a team with an MVP candidate, an all-star and a bunch of pretty good role players rotation players you know yeah. and that's not the, that's not the powerhouse that we expected so right now i'm going to say this bulls team could be better than this nets team if kyrie irving is not going to make a comeback i am bullish on the bucks i really don't give a shit what they've done so far this season uh i i think that they're the championship favorites they haven't had a good bill of health this year so far. And I think that's pretty much the main reason that they're mediocre. That and a little bit of a championship malaise probably factors in. I still, I believe that they're the best team in the conference unless Kyrie Irving gets back to Brooklyn. And as far as the Heat, I would say that I like the Heat better than the Bulls, but not like, not overwhelmingly necessarily. You know, uh, I think they have a little more cohesion, a little bit stronger of like a team concept insofar as like they're built around two-way guys that work hard spolster has got a system in place that works really well and like it's established you know w one thing i would say about the bulls before I, I defer to you on this i don't really trust their eighth place defensive rating they have good defensive guards right like caruso in particular really gets it done and lonzo is, is a solid probably better than solid defender as well but with shaky rim protection and Patrick Williams on the shelf, uh, I, I have a feeling that defensive rating starts to slip. And if they can't pick up the offensive rating, it could be a problem. What do you think? So I think my concern is actually not the defense. My concern is more the offense. Their offensive rating is seventh in the league. When I go take a look at them, I go look at DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. And I go, these dudes are shooting the fucking lights out. And I, to me, it's like, okay, Vooch will come back and be better, right? But it seems that like based upon the early going that the team, the offense is going to run predominantly through 
Levine, and DeRozan, and then Vooch. And it's like, are we expecting DeRozan to shoot 36% on threes all season? Levine is at taking 10 attempts on 10 three-point attempts, and he's at 38%, almost 39%. Like, I don't really see much growth there. They're both shooting over 50% on twos. They're, you know, DeRozan's getting to the line an insane amount. I just, I look at it and I go, how do they, how do they get better on offense? And how do they not get worse on offense is really the question. And I go, basically, Vooch needs to come back and be really, really good. The defense, you know, having really good perimeter defenders is useful. I think Vooch's defensive reputation is a little bit worse than it should be, right? Like, I, I don't think he's an elite rim protector, but this is a guy who, like, when he was with Orlando, he was playing center, and he had, like, positive defensive box plus minuses, right? Like, he's not a great defensive player, but I think he's one of these guys where we look at his defense and we say, we say it's bad because he doesn't get blocks, but, like, everyone knows that blocks really aren't the, the end-all, be-all, Right? I don't know. I, I agree. I don't, I don't think they can surpass the Nets for one reason. And the one reason is I look at James Harden and I go, what's James Harden done the last eight games? Basically, you know, half his season, he's played 17 games. His last eight games, 25 points per game, 8.5 assists, 9.6 free throw attempts, 34.4% from three-point range and 44.7% field goal percentage. And so he's above 50% probably on like two-pointers. Like if he's still getting better from that, those numbers, I think the Nets are going to have the two MVP candidates we're looking for. I, I don't know. The Bulls are really confusing because I think the there are questions. Can this offense keep it up? And can this defense keep it up? I yeah. don't think they can pass those any of those three teams just because I think, you know, Kyrie will come back eventually, right? I mean, well, I mean, that's the question that we, we just can't answer, right? It's like he, he has to. He, he has he to like look tomorrow, at this. Or he can retire tomorrow. I mean, yeah, but like, look, he has to eventually go, I like playing basketball. <laughs> like, Right? Like, eventually he has to go, I'm going to come back. Plus, like, it's one of those things where if he comes back and then all of a sudden the Nets are just unstoppable, like, people will love him. Like, people loving you when you're a professional athlete and famous is so much better than, like, sitting alone in a room being like, I'm not getting a vaccine because I'm proving a point that I refuse to take back my dumb ideas right i would think so but this is a pretty unfathomable person you know this is an enigmatic person i i wouldn't even i i got a basketball point that i'm sitting on here i, I don't even want to dive into kyrie irving's mad world you know like it, it's yeah yeah it, it's hard to say what he might decide uh you mentioned vooch and his defense and how maybe his reputation is is a little bit uh misleading i am gonna point out He's gotten 102 defensive ratings so far this year. Uh, before that, it's been 109, 111, 110, 107. You go back to 2017, he posted a 103 rating. Uh, but I think that that Magic team in general was really solid on the defensive end. In terms of uh, defensive box plus minus, he usually hovers around 0 0.1, 0 0.2. Yeah. Uh, so... Like, he's not a very good defender. No, I, I, no. He might not be a horrible defender, but... People act... This is the way people talk about Nikola Vucevic. They go, if he's your rim protector, you you might as well just have the, that chair that on uh, that um, Darko Milicic destroyed in his workout, right? That made him <laughs> look like he was the number two overall pick ahead of, like, you know, Carmelo and, or whatever it was in that draft, right? So... That's that's the way people talk about him. 
And it's frustrating because I feel like every big white European dude who doesn't get a bunch of blocks, people go, well, he, he sucks at defense. I'm like, can like, we like grow past the he's white and doesn't get blocks ergo he's bad at defense thing, right? Like Vooch is a good offensive player. He's shot incredibly poorly to start the season, which will not continue. And he's a very good passer. And like, that's actually the question I have. It's like, if the, can Vooch coming back and getting back to his old self on offense, will that offset the decline of most likely, most likely a decline from DeRozan and Levine, just because like, there's no way these, these guys can keep it up at this rate. Like, I'm not saying they're all of a sudden going to be bad and that they can't do this. It's just like, they've been really good. It should normalize, yeah. Um, yeah, it should normalize a little bit, but like, well, Vooch is normalizing up, kind of cancel that out. So they look, to me, it's like, they're really tough to tell because the defense has been way better than we expected and the offense has been good, but it's probably not been as good as I would expect with the performances no. out of DeRozan and Levine. Like, you would have th- thought that they had been like top five, maybe even like top three offense. And, you know, see Patrick Williams' injury is really critical, unfortunately, because that uh, he he's he's in theory a perfect player to offset some of Vooch's defensive limitations, right? But he's he's not there to do it, unfortunately. And they don't really have a wing stopper, you know. And like they've they've got two really good defensive guards. I don't think that's enough to explain why they had such a strong defensive rating so far, especially when one of those guys isn't even a starter. And I know he gets pretty significant minutes, but like they're not trotting out a ball Caruso backcourt, you know, like I, I just, I, I can't accept this is a top 10 defensive team because they have Alex Caruso and Lonzo ball, you know, like that, that doesn't really work for me. Uh, I think the reason why they've been a good defense is partially they don't commit shooting fouls which is, you know, they don't put guys at the free throw line, which is good. Um, And their opponents are shooting 34.5% on three-pointers. So that's slightly, that's around league average. So maybe part of it is, part of it is that. I don't know. None of the metrics are screaming that this is a super good defensive team. I'm trying to figure it out. They, they get turnovers and maybe that's all it is. Maybe the fact that they get, have a high turnover. They, I guess they get turnovers, they get turnovers and they don't commit fouls and they haven't been burned by hot three point shooting in the way that like some teams have. So I think that's what it is. And they basically, their defense is going to have to keep generating turnovers and Caruso is really good at that, but I, I don't predict Alex Caruso in 29.5 minutes continuing to get 2.2 steals per game. No, exactly. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But you're right on the flip side that uh, Vooch should start to return to like what we expect from him. And that yeah. could make the offense really interesting. Uh, they're, they're an interesting team to watch for. They have a lot of star power. You know, they have a really talented team. Uh, I like the Heat marginally better. I like the Bucks significantly better. And unless Kyrie Irving returns, I do not like the Nets better. But that's such yeah. a thing, you know? I mean, I think the way I look at it is this, is that the Bulls have, this, have the same record as the Nets, one more win than the Heat, and I guess three more wins than the Bucks, right? So they've been a little pretty significantly better than the Bucks. But they're not like way ahead of those teams and pretty much outside of Vooch everything has gone right to start the season for them. I guess you could say the Pat, but Patrick Williams is like important, but like, he's not important, important. Like he's like losing like your fifth or sixth best player. So it's like, yeah, it's not fun, but like, it's pretty easy to weather for this team. And And it's the type of misfortune that, sorry, that you have to look at and go, well, every team is going to have something at least this bad happen to them this year, right? So, yeah. yeah. And the Bucks have had, you know, far worse. The Nets have had far worse. The Heat, I guess you could say, haven't had any, haven't really been snake bin. But, like, you know, the Heat have a much, have like a two-point better net rating, right? So they've been substantially better. So it's, to me, it's like everything has gone right so far for the Bulls, and they're not really ahead of this pack. 
And you would have to think more things are going to go right for those teams that, uh, as the season goes on and less things are going to go right for the Bulls. So I still, like, I think, I think they're going to look as good as the Miami Heat this season. But I think come playoff time, Jimmy Butler is going to say, DeRozan isn't an all-star. Right? Like, yeah. I think, like, yeah. you know, that's, that's the reality is it's like this is a team that is going to rack up a bunch of regular season wins. They're going to look really good. They're going to have a good crunch time offense. So their net rating is going to be, their record's going to be better than their net rating. And then they can come playoff time. They're going to win their first round series and then they're going to play a big boy and they're going to find out that, Oh shit. Levine isn't a superstar. DeRozan isn't a superstar. Vooch I said he's a top 15 player because like I couldn't, you know, sell him short for the millionth time in his career, but like, he's probably not a superstar either. You have three really good players and Lonzo ball who's shooting 46% on threes or something like, you know, this team is good, but they're not great. And I think that's what they like. That's what they built. They built a good, not great team. And I think the expectation finishing third or fourth in the Eastern conference or third in this year's Eastern conference should be like a massive success for the franchise. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 It's so far it's mission accomplished and it probably will continue to be Let, let's move on to the great debate, man. Yes. The greatest debate of our time. So, <laughs> so I, I, I unfortunately am, have to be around rockets, Twitter and James unfortunately chooses to be around rockets. Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So Keep that in mind when listening to this debate. Um, <laughs> so I tweeted, and the, the origin of this is I tweeted, I've seen like a lot of Rocket stands basically saying, oh man, like it doesn't like, yeah, Evan Mobley's been better than Jalen Green thus far. But like drafting Green was such, was obviously the better decision because it meant that we got Alperin Shangun. And if we had drafted Evan Mobley, that never would have happened. And I go, that's just not true. Like, you could have drafted both of them. Like, there's nothing in the rules that say, well, guess what? Rockets, sorry, you drafted you drafted Mobley at two. You can't trade up to get Shangun at 16 now. I think I get the idea of, yes, you pair a good young guard with a good young big man. That's perfect. But I kind of getting tired of the like, oh, it doesn't matter that Mo- it's like it does- Mobley being better than Green at, at the sec- with the second pick thus far who that that doesn't matter it what makes up because it because we got shangun which makes up for that and i just go guys like stop trying to talk yourself into this i think drafting green at two is totally fine like i think he's gonna end up being a very good player but if evan mobley turns out to be an a better player than green then they'll have made a mistake not taking evan mobley with the second pick and them picking up shangun and him turning out to be a really good player isn't going to make change that because you could have paired Mobley and Shangun. And that's the debate. We're trying to say, I think Evan Mobley and Alperin Shangun could have played together in the NBA and been a dynamic front court duo. And James, foolish James, <laughs> foolish, foolish James, putting taking off his analyst hat and putting on his fan hat is going to say, <laughs> No, really, Green and Shangun was the move. Okay. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that. And I'm not necessarily saying that the Rockets didn't make a mistake insofar as, you know, when you're in a rebuilding position, you want BPA first and foremost, right? And I readily concede that Evan Mobley looks like he's going to be probably better than Jalen Green. He's been much better so far. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be – an MVP candidate. It, it looks pretty likely, you know. It's obviously really early goings, but I think that we have enough data that we can, you know, deduce that Evan Mobley looks like the real deal, right? But the only the notion that I, I specifically want to push back is the idea that drafting both Mobley and Shangun would have been prudent. I very much think that it wouldn't have been. First of all, I realized that Shangun is uh, hitting threes so far at this point in his career, but he was absolutely not projected to shoot threes heading into the draft. So we can't retroactively act like 
he was a three-point shooter, right? And we're not even sure because he only shoots a low volume. We're not even sure if he really can shoot. Yeah, Shangun, the scouting reports on Shangun heading into the draft didn't indicate that he should be able to shoot threes. So far, at least as a rookie, at, at least as a rookie, at that least was as a rookie. Yeah, right. There was potential for it to develop, but uh, he's a little bit ahead of schedule on that front, or really a, a fair bit ahead of schedule on that. Or front. lucky in a small sample. <laughs> or lucky in a small sample. No, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. So. I don't think that this front office would have drafted two centers in the same draft. I, I, I think it's very unlikely. I think that long-term they're both going to be centers. And so I think that you're, you're setting yourself up for failure to draft two guys that can't play together as, as your future cornerstone pieces. Uh, my main position would be that in the modern NBA, you're not going to, build around a twin towers look long term uh i don't think shangun can keep up with fours so he'd have to be the five i guess and i really think that it's going to end up being that evan mobley is maximized at the center position alongside an elite perimeter stopper that allows mobley to protect the rim and also handle switches when need be yeah no look i I, look i agree with like that stuff as a concept but like this is this is the thing that I, I want to push back on with Rockets fans and just let it be known. The Rockets got Shengun because they saw he was available at the 16th pick and they saw that they could make a deal with Oklahoma City to get him with the 16th pick and make a trade for that. They did not go into the draft going, yeah, we're going to draft Jalen Green at two and then we're going to snag Shengun at 16. When they saw that Shengun was there, they was like, look, this is a guy that we probably have, like, if knowing the Rockets with their analytics, they probably would have been, and I think they're right, this guy probably should have been a top 10 pick. He's available to get at 16, and we're giving up two protected future first-round picks from two other organizations. Yeah, let's go get him, right? Like, that was the decision. And I think what they saw with Shengun is they went, this is tremendous value. I think if they had drafted Mobley and they have been the same situation, like, if you're a front office in a rebuild, what's more important? having two guys that fit together perfectly on the court or having two guys that are good at basketball when your team isn't very good at basketball. Now that that's the thing is that like, I, I, I don't like the idea that drafting Mobley would have prevented them from going after Shengun because I think them getting Shengun was purely solely had nothing to do with fit and it had everything to do with, Oh shit, this player is way better than the 16th pick we got to make a move. We're in a rebuild. This is the type of good decisions front offices make. But I will say that Mobley, the thing that I love about him most is his positional versatility as a defensive player. So I think he's one of these guys who are like, sure, maybe he's maximized at the five, but I think what he's actually maximized is as is he has no position. And that allows you, it's like, think about Giannis. Giannis is probably maximized as a center. But he plays next to Brooke Lopez, who's his fucking center, and it works out really well. But he can also be a lone center, right? So that's kind of how I look at Mobley defensively. And I think Mobley and Shangun as a defensive pairing would be great because you say, oh, Shangun can handle this four. Let's go have him cover that four. Mobley, you protect the rim. Oh, Mobley, you need to cover this more mobile four. Do that and do a lot of help side, weak side defending. Shengun, you're good positionally. Just be in the right spot. Take charges. Do your best to protect the rim, and Mobley will back you up. So I do think they defensively fit well. And they're good passers. And I always think if there's two ways to have offense in the NBA, not two ways, but the two ways you create good looks are through spacing, through good three-point shooting, and passing. And if you don't have good shooting, you need good passing. And it's the reason why the Rockets suck, because they don't have good shooting or good passing. But I really think Mobley and Sengun are good enough passers that if you surrounded them with two pretty good shooters, they would make a above league average offense pretty quickly. Let me let me frame it this way, okay? First of all, I, I don't want to get into what the Rockets were thinking or not, because then we're, we're, we're speculating on things that we can't really uh, quantify or verify, right? Well, I, I'm going to speculate on this, is the Rockets made that decision on that day because they saw a guy in a place where they weren't expecting it. That, okay. That's what I will say. I think that is, we can say that's almost certainly a fact. All right, so let me, let me ask you this. Blind taste test, okay? You're one of the worst teams in the NBA. 
and you're heading into the 2021 draft, okay? Or you're heading into a draft. Would you rather come out of the draft with a potentially elite scorer and a potentially elite offensive center or a potentially elite offensive center and a potentially elite two-way center? In my mind, you're misallocating resources to come away from the draft with two guys who play the least valued position in the league, right? Uh, that, 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 that's where I'm coming from. And I say this, yeah, you want to do best player available in a rebuild for the vast majority of the time, but I don't think coming into the draft, it was absolutely definitive. Like there were three guys that were perceived as having number one overall talent, like th- like three yeah. guys who people said, these guys can go number one in other drafts, right? So it's not like Mobley was viewed as like leagues ahead of Green and that it was preposterous to consider Green at two, like there were even rumors that the Pistons might consider green at one. It, it was pretty fluid. So I think the Rockets uh, came away with a more diverse range of assets than they would have had. They went with Mobley and, and Shangun. No, no, look, I'm not here to like say the Rockets fucked up. I don't think that's, I don't think that's something we need to talk about right now because it's like, it's 17 games into the season and they're all rookies, right? Like n- my whole thing is more like, Hey, Stop trying to turn the, like the, look, Jalen Green hasn't been very good to start his career. I don't think that's a problem. I think that's what you would have expected. And I think it has no bearing on whether or not he becomes a good player. Mobley started his career really well. And I think that is some bearing on the fact that he might be a transformative player in a way that Green will not end up being. With the second pick, if you're the Rockets, it doesn't, you want that best player, right? It's more important to have Mobley than it is to have green if Mobley ends up being, you know, substantially better, right? Like, that's the point that I, I'm trying to get at. Stop, tr- and I just don't like the idea. It's like, well, actually, it makes more sense to get the worst player because we then got another different good player. And my point is like, one, no, that's not really how NBA team building works. It's more valuable to have an MVP, one MVP, than it is to have like two all-stars just because you can go add another all-star. And this is the other thing, from a team building standpoint, who cares if you get the more diverse assets? Because let's be real here. This Rockets team lost the most games in the league last year. It looks like they're going to do that again this year, right? Like you have all these future Brooklyn picks. If Shengun turns out to be good and you have Mobley, but Mobley is clearly better, you package Shengun and like a few picks and a Brooklyn pick, you can go get the guy that fits next to Mobley that you want. And like, that's the whole thing is it's like, look, like stop, like teams want to do what the Atlanta Hawks did where they like, they draft their core or what the rock or what the golden state warriors did where they draft their core. Guess what? The, the fucking bucks, they drafted Giannis. They traded for Chris Middleton. They traded for drew holiday, the Lakers. They signed LeBron James. They, they, you know, there's a lot of different ways to build a championship core. And I just think, when you're the worst team in the league, just getting the best player with the highest picks possible is what you want to do. And that's and I, the thing is, is I don't think we disagree on that either. Right. Because yeah, I, yeah. right. Yeah. I, I, I would have taken Mobley straight up. It, it, it gives me a little pain in my chest every time I say it, but like, I, I, I would have taken Mobley and I think Mobley's going to end up looking like uh, the number one player from this draft class. If I had to guess, honestly. Yeah. Right. But I just, I push back on the notion that there's a world where the Rockets would have drafted Mobley and Shangun, especially this particular franchise, which is like a analytics driven, spacing driven, you know, like it, it would fly in the face of the past 10 years of Rockets history to go get two fives. Wait, this is a spacing driven team. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just fine with you. Yeah. Okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Philosophically. Yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, in actuality, they are not. No, look, like I will say this. Look, I think Mobley and Shengun would be a really solid pairing. You go look at uh, Mobley and Kevin Love when they've shared the court. It hasn't been a tremendous amount of time, but I think Kevin Love in some regards, obviously a better shooter, but some regards is a similar future comp for Elper and Shengun. When they've been on the court for 55 minutes, you know, 113 points per 100 possession offensive rating, 91 defensive rating, right? That's you're not going to keep the defensive rating, but like that's a solid enough offense, right? Um, you go look at Mobley and Allen, like him with like a true, true, true center 
you know, hundred, you know, slight a positive net rating, hundred and one offensive rating, hundred defensive rating. So like he can work with like a offensively limited center. You go look at Shangun and Wood, right? Shangun and Wood, hundred and five offensive rating. The defense hasn't been so great, but I think we'd agree Mobley would make it better. So like I, I just I look at it and I go, is this the best way to maximize Mobley and Shangun is play them together? Probably not, but I think with you, the Rockets, it had been like, okay, like they could make it work. And one of the things we've talked about for ages is Sabonis and Turner not being able to put it together, which is probably the like the B version <laughs> of a pairing of Mobley and um, Shangun would be Turner and Sabonis, like, you know, the, the knockoff. Turner and Sabonis this season. 7.5 net rating, 107 offensive rating, 100 defensive rating. So this is the year that it looks like it's kind of working. I don't know. I, I just, I go, I think it could have worked. I think Jalen Green and Shangun's a really exciting duo. But once again, it's like, if we think Mobley's better than Green, they should have gotten Green. And if Shangun's available at 16, you take Shang, you, you do what you can to get Shangun at 16 because he clearly a top 10 talent that somehow was available. I think the Rockets made the right decision in getting Shingun. And I think if they messed up getting Jalen Green, they didn't make a horrible mistake. They just, instead of getting an MVP, they got an all-star. Yep. Like that happens at the top of the draft. It happens all the time. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And again, I would say that I, I never wanted to take the position that they shouldn't have taken Mobley. I push back on the notion that that Mobley and Shangun would be a good long-term pairing. It's funny because I, I would point to Turner and Sabonis and say, this is why you don't do that. Because, like, yeah, you know, there's, for, we've been talking about whether these guys can play together for, for two decades, it feels like, you know? Yeah. I will say Mobley is far more skilled than Turner. Yes. And, and so like that, that's my big thing is like, I think those two guys with the way they pass, because Mobley like low key is like a pretty impressive passer already. Oh, yeah. And Shangun, we both love his passing. Best like, passing league. He might be, he might be. He's not, um, he's not, you know, he's, he's, he's already one of the five best passing bigs in the league. I would say he's the best uh, passer on, on the Rockets. <laughs> um, oh yeah. <laughs> right. And he's, he's been great. Um, so I just look at that and I go, you know, everyone's you saying oh you can't have two big guys i'm like no you can't have two big guys that can't do shit with the ball but if you have two big guys that can do shit with the ball it's fine right like kd seven feet tall don't tell me kd at seven feet tall can't play next to like i don't know anthony davis they'd be like oh they're two big guys they can't they can't do anything together kd and Giannis, it would never work fuck kd Giannis, and anthony davis on the same team that could never work. There are too, too many tall people out there. It's like, look, those guys can do things with the ball, and that's what matters. All right, so that's that's a great point. But what I would say to that is, as much as I, I, I have a firm belief in Evan Mobley, I think he's going to be fantastic and everything, I don't think he's going to be quite like the wing-big hybrid that like Durant is or Giannis is. Like, I think he's going to be a center. I, I think that when he hits his apex – we're going to say, okay, this guy needs to play the five, you know, like he's, he's not quite like, I don't think he's going to be able to run the offense in half court sets the way that, that Katie and Giannis can, or like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but like, you know, this is a dude who's shooting 40% on mid range jumpers, 36% on long twos, right? These aren't great numbers, but for a guy, his size, his experience level, that's like that's good enough where you go okay like this guy does can is more than just i can get points around the rim oh for sure yeah yeah yeah. No, he's gonna be a big with some wing skills is how i see it you know like he's, he's and probably yeah. the best defensive player in the league yeah which 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 would be nice and also shangun is like he's going to be a big with some wing skills too right like that's kind of the way i see it where it's like they're neither of them are the are perimeter players but they have enough perimeter skills that like together they combine to make it's like how's your describe it's like half front court half perimeter player and you have two of those guys it equals it's 0.5 and 0.5 so it's one front court player and one perimeter player 
it's just you're kind of getting half and half from two different sources. Yeah, that's that's the way to look at it. It's just really hard for me to, to imagine the Rockets coming out of the draft with two centers, man. That, that's basically the simple version of what I'm saying, you know? Like, sure, maybe the Rockets would have made that horrible decision. But once again, they <laughs> weren't planning on getting Shangun. They saw the opportunity and they went, oh my God, this is an opportunity. We can't miss this. But the question is, is would they have get, would they have even taken that opportunity had they drafted Mobley? I think they would have just on the simple account of if you have a computer and you can look at his statistics and you go, oh shit, this guy's younger than Jalen Green and he just won the MVP of the Turkish League with these numbers. Yeah, he's he's probably better than the 16th pick. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not that it's not that complicated. It's just like you go, fuck, like shit you you get Mobley, you get him you trade wood right away you go boom get this fucking loser out of here you trade him to fucking you trade him to fucking oklahoma city so you get the 16th pick and a future pick from him. like that's what you do it's 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 as simple as that because that's that's how i view the, the shagun thing is it's just like he fell into their lap and they said okay he's not gonna be there at 23 or 24 but he's here at 16 oklahoma city's run by some fucking idiots Let's go get him because I don't know why OKC didn't just take him. I have no idea. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's what the fuck were they thinking? I, I think Presty is getting a little too hyper focused on like I need to aggregate draft picks. It's like, dude, you got to turn those guys into players, and this guy's to steal the draft. Thank God, thank God. As far as I'm concerned, you know, he didn't even. The thing is, the, the the dirty secret is the Rockets didn't even give up good picks. They gave up like highly protected picks. Picks that won't convey probably. That if they do, they'll be in the teens at best right it's just great move to close out this episode luke walton the luke walton all-star gets fired luke walton the man who basically made a career or a head coaching career out of getting to coach the golden state warriors apex golden state warriors while steve kerr had to you know deal with the horrible complications from a back surgery so, Luke Walton fired after three, or really 2.1 or 2.2 seasons as the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. I kind of feel like he got a raw deal this year, though. And it's not because I'm a big Luke Walton defender. I think he's an average coach. But let's be real here. What were the what were the Sacramento Kings expecting him to do? This is a team whose the three best players are, or at least over the past three seasons, their three best players have been De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, and Harrison Barnes. He's won 42% of his games. He went 31 and 41 his first two seasons. He was off to a six and eleven start. Teams have been basically the same in terms of uh, been in the same vicinity of net rating over the past few seasons. James. Did Lou Walton get a raw deal or did he really fumble the bag or did he really fuck up this roster? Cause I just look at this roster and I say, this is the below 500 team in the Western conference. Yeah. I think it depends how you look at it. Uh, mostly. I mean, I'll, I'll start by saying, yeah, mostly I think he got a raw deal. Like if, if it was a yes or no question, my answer is yes. Right. Uh, I mean, he probably lost his job the moment they drafted Marvin Bagley, right? Because it, when you have the number two pick and, and you, you take a guy that has performed at like probably literally a 40th overall pick level or something at this point, right? Well, yeah, he's not playing for the team anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, that's you, it's also possible to have a good team when you blew that opportunity, right? Like to that extent, like to come away with the number two pick with a, with a player that we're not even sure if he's a reserve. You know, he, from that point forward, they were doomed to fail. And the only thing I'll say is when a team sucks so consistently for so long with the same coach, even when it's not the coach's fault, they almost have to fire the coach because it's like, well, it's not that you're the problem, but it's just that we need to try to inject something new into this team and a new coaching strategy might be the only opportunity we really have right now, you know, but like, and I guess it's just kind of an occupational hazard of being an NBA head coach, but he didn't earn the firing. And I also agree with you that he's probably not an excellent NBA coach, but you, you can't say that he deserved 
to be fired. I think he's done as well as he could have with the roster that he had. Yeah, I think I think he suffered from two things. One, I don't know why I got fired this season. So they had the worst defense in the league last year, 117 points. Obviously, scoring's down this year, but they're 23rd in defensive rating. So they've made some serious improvements on the defensive end. And they went from the 11th best offensive rating to the 14th best this season over 17 games. But De'Aaron Fox has been horrible. So if I'm looking at like how De'Aaron Fox has played and you go, he'll start hitting shots. You look at the improvements on defense and you go, okay, like this team is going to be significantly better in terms of net rating by the end of the season than they were the past two seasons. Like it's like, basically it comes down to this. Luke Walton lost his job because De'Aaron Fox played like shit the first 17 games of the season. <laughs> like, 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 and that's what I don't understand is that all you have to do is look at the numbers and you go, okay, that's what's going on here. Like if De'Aaron Fox doesn't turn it around or, you know, the defense slips or the offense continuously gets worse, then yeah, you may, you, you pull the plug, but it felt to me like after 17 games, it's like the defense got better. That was like, number one goal number one priority improve the defense it is improved good the offense has stayed relatively the same within how offense has fluctuated league-wide and it's done that while your supposed best offensive player has literally been a negative on that end how do you how do you fire him right now yeah yeah it's all i i man sacramento is such a wasteland it's like it's so far gone this whole the whole situation you know it's it's hard to imagine they're kind of like the prime ben simmons destination right now i don't believe that swapping De'Aaron fox for ben simmons is gonna vault them into any reasonably good position like they're just fucked this is the worst franchise in the league man well yeah the problem is is that the this is the problem luke walton got fired because the owner can't fire himself and the gm isn't going to fire himself either and that's the problem Basically, th- that's that's why he he got canned. And you know, Alvin Gentry probably is just as good as a coach. And yeah. if it's one of those things where the players like Gentry more than they liked Walton, because we don't know if there's like relationship issues. Sometimes that's what it comes down to: is the team goes, Luke, like we've committed m- more money to these guys uh, than to you, so you have to make these relations work. But I do think the the, the Kings and Walton fell victim to the small bad franchise franchise player curse which is De'Aaron Fox is the franchise player but he's not a franchise player De'Aaron Fox is probably an above average is an above average NBA player but he's not very good De'Aaron Fox isn't going to be the best player on a playoff team because the surrounding talent on this team is good enough where if he was that player they would have at least been sniffing around the play-in. You know, he's he's a guy who is paid like a franchise player, who scored points like a franchise player, but it's because he's at a shitty franchise. And Luke Walton lost his job. And the thing is, people are going to continue to lose their job until the franchise realizes that Darren Fox isn't really that special. And that's the thing. You're not going to trade De'Aaron Fox and get Ben Simmons unless you throw in a fuckload of picks. We'll see about that. It, it's yeah. getting pretty desperate in Philly. We, 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 we should clue up before we fall down a whole other rabbit hole, I think, though. Oh, no, I don't know. I mean, because, like, let's be real here. Daryl Morey has access to a computer, right? This dude over the past, let's not count his first season and this season total. He is a 1.6 box plus minus. 2.1 offensive box plus minus negative 0.5 defensive box plus minus. Like this is a good NBA guard, but this is a guy that if you're trying to win a championship, he probably needs to be your like third or fourth best player. Yeah. I just, I'm not sure how long Maury can just hold out on Simmons before it gets really toxic. What about Joel Embiid says, man, fuck this. Our, our second best player just doesn't play and i'm sick of the situation now i want out then it's then the sky's falling you know and, and i don't think that's an unrealistic scenario joel and beats going to war every night with tobias harris 
and like Seth Curry and, and can't shoot Thibel and and fucking Danny Green, you know, like like Maxie's looking good, but yeah, Maxie's looking good, but still, in all, Joel Embiid can't possibly look at this roster and go, yeah, we have any chance in the world of winning a championship. Look, Daryl Morey said he can wait four years. Well, I don't know if Embiid's going to wait four years. We'll see. You know, I don't know if there's a player in the league that's going to wait four years. No, no, no. Not, not, not to mention, said, I can wait four years. Is that he said, I can wait until I can't wait any longer. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I think the reality is Embiid can't be all that pissed about this because Embiid is 90% of the problem. I wouldn't say that, but no, 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 he's no. part it, of the problem. Embiid's comments t- about Ben Simmons going back and forth, being like, fuck this dude. I don't fucking like him. He cost us the series. And then being like, we want him back. We love him. If you're Ben Simmons, you're going, fuck this dude. He's literally just saying this back. Like, he's basically speaking his mind. And then when he realizes that he needs me, he's going to pretend to be nice. I agree. And it's like, that's the thing. like 90% of the problem is Ben Simmons. Like, I don't really want to play with Joel Embiid because one, it's not the best basketball fit for me, at least offensively. But predominantly just because Joel Embiid kind of seems like a dick to Ben Simmons in particular. And maybe yeah. Ben Simmons is irritating to Joel Embiid. I don't know. But, like, you can't be a jerk to someone and then be like, why don't you want to hang out, man? <laughs> yeah. Listen, dude, we've already ran long, and we, we can't go this far down Ben Simmons anymore, I don't think. you know. Yes, dude. no. Ben Simmons ben, is out. Ben Simmons never ends. Okay. This is the end of from downtown episode 24 part two because i'm thinking this should be a two-parter yeah remember like subscribe rate review share us with your friends your family maybe not with your weird uncle um because he tends to turn people off on his suggestions he's like oh this movie i saw people are like we're not seeing that movie Definitely not seeing that movie. Um, but everyone else is cool. As always, Nevin Brown. And I'm joined by James Pierce. Thanks for listening. Yes. And remember, be on the lookout for our rebrand. We're going to change the name to Above the Break, have a new logo, maybe some merchandise, possibly some more followers. That would be nice. I'd like I would... to get some YouTube videos going. Ooh, I think some that YouTube people... videos. Our faces are too beautiful to, to hide from the public any longer, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I guess, I guess.